Amen. We're going to take a moment now to dismiss our children who are fourth grade and under to head upstairs for kids crew, a time of worship designed specifically for them. They'll meet our leaders here at the front and then they will head upstairs. We're going to be in Philippians chapter two today. We are working our way through the book of Philippians, a sermon series that we're calling Advance the Gospel as that is sort of the primary instruction that we are looking at week after week in our study together of the book of Philippians, how we are to advance the gospel as the church, as the people of God. And even as we, as we get started this morning, I want to address something that you may have noticed around our facility that's a little bit different today. This past week, we moved into the state's classification of the yellow system, according to the state's uh, weekly COVID response plan. We've been following some of our guidances and, and, um, and different things have been tied to that for, for months now. We've been in orange. And because we are in the yellow category, the yellow classification, that means that today is the first day in, in a long time that we've had our, our, our sanctuary open. We've, had, uh, we've been back open where you could sit where you wanted. It wasn't every other pew. So some of you today got your chair back. Some of you got your pew back. Some of you, what you did is you came in and you just sat where you've been sitting the last few weeks. And so you're still in somebody else's pew. And maybe next week you <laughs> got to get back to the right real estate here. You only laugh because it's true, right? You only laugh because it's real. Uh, but more than just opening that up, of course, it's, it's a reflection of how numbers are trending downward. And, and uh, we're prayerful that that means that they're going to continue in that direction. But I, let me say this. We have lifted the requirement for masks around the facility and those things, again, tied to this color-coded system and the way that we've been doing that. We put out some guidance about that months and months ago. But there's still a lot of people who haven't been vaccinated yet, who haven't had COVID yet. And so I want you to hear me when I say this, that, uh, that, that you are fully, we, we fully support you and encourage you. If, you. if you choose to wear a mask and you want to do that, I, I, you, I think it's wise. I think there's some wisdom to it in a lot of ways. I will wear a mask during our invitation uh, for, for you and for your sake. I've had COVID. Uh, I had it back in January, uh, so I'm not worried that you're going to give it to me. I, I've had it. I've got the antibodies at this point. But nonetheless, uh, I don't mean to make light of it. I, it's still a very serious thing, and, and we're, we're moving in the right direction, and, and, and we're excited for that. But we're not there yet, and so along the way, we're going to continue to support one another, encourage one another, be there for one another in this, understanding that not everyone is going to feel the way about it that you do, and that's okay. You're not going to feel the way I might. I might not feel the way about it that you do, but the one thing that we can agree upon is that we're better together, and it's good to be together, and so we'll, we'll sacrifice whatever we need to sacrifice and, and take whatever steps we need to for the sake of one another that we might be able to gather together and worship and fellowship, celebrating what Christ has done for us, what he continues to do in our lives as we trust him and follow his direction for our lives. That really brings us right back to the text because that's where we've been these last few weeks. Paul's talking about a partnership that he shares with the church in Philippi, that they were working together to advance the gospel. And, and that's what we are called to do is to work together to advance the gospel. We've talked about what does it mean? How, the, the gospel advance, what does that mean? The gospel advances, the gospel moves forward as we trust in Christ and as we share that message with others around us because we understand that, that we were never meant to be an end unto things that we would somehow receive the message of the gospel that we would come to faith and it just stops there it wasn't about us the, the point of all of this wasn't so that the gospel message would get to you and now the work is finished 
Instead, we're a part of something that's been happening for a long time, and then until Jesus returns again, will continue to happen, where, where successively, generation after generation, family after family, uh, you know, the, the, the groups of people, bodies of, of churches and denominations and Christians and people are followers of Jesus are working together to advance the mission of Christ, and that is to take the gospel to those that don't know Jesus. And that's what Paul is encouraging the church here in Philippi to do. And frankly, it's because this church and others like it did that, that the gospel got to us because they were faithful. And, and, and we might trust that the only way that the gospel is going to get to those who are to come after us is if we are faithful with this task in doing the work that has been instructed and given to us. And so we want to do our part in continuing to pass that along. You know, there's a phrase that we use when we're talking about someone that as soon as I say this phrase in a moment, instantly, not only are you going to think of someone, someone is going to come to mind, I know they are, but not only that, you're going to instantly know what I'm talking about. When we describe someone as being full of it, right? You know what I mean when I say, when we talk about someone who's full, they're full of it. What is the it? What are, what are they full, full of themselves? They think they know everything. Maybe they're arrogant. Maybe they're conceited. There's a lot of things that it could, it could get darker than that pretty fast too. We're not going to go there. But, but the, the bottom line is we know what it, what it means when we think of someone who is full of it. Well, Jesus is really in a lot of ways we'll see in this text today kind of the opposite of that. Because he emptied himself. It might truly be said that Jesus wasn't. Jesus truly was full of the glory of God because he's a part of the Trinity. He's a part of the Godhead. He, he was full of all authority, all power, all might, all, all, uh, all that's glorious, all that's worthy of exaltation, all that is wonderful. Jesus was full of all those things and yet he willingly emptied himself that he might take on the form of, of, a, of a human, of a man, and that he might serve us by dying on the cross for our sin. That's the, that's the essence of the gospel. It's also the heartbeat of this text that we're going to study today. And here's something that I, I want us to understand. Because clearly the point of this passage that we're going to study together. And, and, and you're going to recognize these words I have no doubt when we begin to read them. Because they're some of the most well-known, most well-versed, most well-recognized and celebrated in all the life of the church. And, and yet here's the point that you need to understand. You cannot be simultaneously full of Christ and full of yourself. You, you can't be full of Jesus and, and, and also full of it. And, and so it's important that we, would, that we would understand and embrace what this means to empty ourselves that we might be filled to the measure with the fullness of Christ. And that ultimately is the point of the text Today. So let's read together. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 11, and we're going to come back and we're really going to dig in what this means. As we read, I want you to really, really uh, grasp onto both mentally and, and, and even try as you can to funnel what we're reading here through verse 5, because I, I really believe verse 5 is sort of the, the, the hinge that this passage swings on. And so I want us to, we're really going to look at how we do what verse 5 instructs us to do as we work our way through this passage, all right? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What what a powerful truth. What 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 an incredible message Paul is delivering here. This is the essence of the gospel. That Jesus emptied himself of his of the fullness of his rights. He took on, he humbled himself. He took on the form of a human and he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of his obedience on the cross, because of his death and and much more because of his resurrection, he conquered sin and death and now has the power to grant forgiveness of sin to us when we turn to him in faith. This is the hope that is ours in the gospel. And we praise God that this was his plan to bring salvation to us through offering his life for us. You know, a lot of scholars believe that if you were to start in verse 5 and read from verse 5 through 11, that this is one of the early hymns of the Christian church. Now, when I say hymn, it may or may not have been that it was put to music the way that that we think. So when we think of a hymn, you think of hymns like what we sang this morning, right? So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Uh, that sort of thing is, is what we recognize as a hymn. And, that, and it is. In our sense, in the way that we understand it, that is a hymn. It's a great one. It's a beloved one, one that I love and that you love. We love to sing. But this would have been a hymn that maybe is more like, maybe more like we might think along the lines of a creed. Now, it's not as formal, perhaps, as a creed, but along those lines. This would have been some core theology that was committed to, that was intentionally worded and committed to... Uh, a, a, a phrasing, a particular phrasing that would have made it memorable and that they, would have, that they would have readily recited to one another. You understand that when you went into Christian churches that were gathered together, they didn't have the New Testament the way that we have the New Testament, that they might read it and study it the way that we do. That came later. It was still much of it quite literally being written, right? Because here we have Paul writing the letter to the church at Philippi. So not only that, is it, is it still being written? They would have studied the Old Testament uh, scriptures, particularly those who came from a Jewish background, they would have studied the they would have studied the, the what we refer to as the Old Testament. They would have referred to it as either just the scriptures or the Tanakh, and and so that would have been a part perhaps of their study. But in order to in order to make sure that they were teaching and and passing along right theology, right doctrine, they would have taken doctrinal truths, they would have worded them very specifically, and they would have committed that to memory. And as they gather together and worship part of what they would have done is would have been to recite these doctrinal truths to one another in such a way that they might both celebrate it, that they might both embrace it corporately, and that they might sure that they're getting it right, that they're getting it right. And so that's what we have here. Now, think of this in that sense. And and in fact, let's read this again in that sense. And, And suppose for a moment that you don't have a New Testament. 
In fact, I want you to, let's, let's do this. Why don't you listen to me read these words? If you're comfortable, I would even encourage you in a moment, close your eyes. I'll tell you when, okay, so that nothing sneaks up on you here. But I want you to listen to this as though you were not reading it. This is perhaps in, in, in many ways in a, in a culture, certainly it, it predates the printing press or anything, and, and in many ways even a pre-literate culture where there would have been plenty of people who weren't even literate at this point. And yet they needed a way to, to pass along the truth, the teaching of the, the apostles, the, 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 the fundamental truths of the gospel. Listen to these words. And, and if you can, try to put yourself in the shoes of the first century listener. Beginning in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in... The form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a a powerful, what a life-changing truth that transformed lives then just as it continues to transform our lives today. And so I want us to look at three things that that take place in our lives when we do what verse 5 says. Verse 5 I would consider to be, as I mentioned already, sort of the, the centerpiece of this passage, that verses 1 through 4 are kind of pointing the way to the primary instruction. In fact, if you were to diagram this out, if you were to you know, practice some, some English grammar here and sort of diagram this out, if you've ever done sentence clausal diagrams and some of those things, why would you, right? That's what many of you are thinking right now. Why would you do that? But if you were to do that, it, this is the part that would, that would move to the furthest left on the page because it's the, it's the centerpiece that everything else kind of flows and works from. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or we might say even somewhat more simply that we are to have the mind of Christ. This mind, this mindset, this way of thinking, this worldview that we are to adopt is ours through faith in Jesus. It's not natural to us. It doesn't come naturally. It's not something that, is, that, that, that we would do in and of our own thinking and our own reasoning because we would put ourselves first, not others. We would make sure that our needs were met rather than ignoring our own needs that we might meet the needs of others. We would look to make sure that our list of wants and desires were being fulfilled and looked after rather than saying, you know what, I'll willingly sacrifice all of that that I might focus on the needs of someone else. It doesn't come naturally to us. And yet, We understand that through faith in Christ, this is the mindset, this is the mind, the manner of thinking, the worldview that we are to adopt, that we are to willingly, yea, more joyfully put others first and serve their needs because Jesus put us first and served our greatest need on the cross. That is the essence of the gospel. And when that happens, there are three things that this passage teaches us that that take place. So in order to do this, in order to have this mindset, first of all, to have this mind, this mind of Christ, you must pursue joy. You must pursue joy. Now, some of us 
are hardwired to think of joy and happiness as the same thing. And I tell you this all the time. In fact, if, you, if, if you've been a part of our church for any length of time, you have heard me say this. We must not mistake joy and happiness as the same thing. They're not. Joy is something so much deeper, so much richer, so much more full than happiness. Happiness is tied to our circumstance. It's tied to our emotion. It's tied to, how we, to our feelings and, and how we feel and what we think at any one moment. And joy is not. Joy is something that transcends. Joy is something that goes beyond. Joy is something that even in the midst of sorrow and darkness and hardship and trouble and pain, joy can be present in our lives because we hope and we believe in, we trust in the right things. And that's present in what he's saying here. Notice that. Notice that he offers a series of, of phrases here. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ. So you could really go back and, and if you were studying the way that the language were, were arranged here and, and the wording that Paul used, you really could say, you could rightly interpret that word so in a, in a number of ways. And, and I think it's perhaps best for us to think of it as since. It's so, but it's sort of the, the, the proverbial rhetorical question, right? It's assumed to be true. So we might see it as since there is encouragement in Christ. Since there is comfort from his love. Since we have participation in the spirit. Since we know affection and sympathy in Christ. That we are to complete this joy that Paul writes about. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. What does he mean by complete my joy? Well, a couple of things. First of all, complete my joy sort of implies when you really look at that, that it takes work, doesn't it? It's not just something that you have to work to complete is something that's unfinished yet. Something that takes some effort. Something that's going to require some, some work on our part. And that's the way that we have to understand joy. Joy takes effort. Joy takes uh, an intentionality, uh, uh, living with purpose, that we have to set our minds on joy. We have to make an intentional, a purposeful effort to work toward joy. Or I think all of that is sort of encapsulated in the word that I've used here, pursue, that we might pursue joy. And the way that we pursue joy, he also spells out rather plainly here, particularly as it relates to the idea of the church, this partnership in the gospel that is ours through our uh, through, through the church, through the participation in the spirit, through the comfort and love and the encouragement and the sympathy and these things that we share together of, of soul and mind that, that are ours together in the church. He's saying, so since we have these things, we are to complete this joy in, again, walking in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. If we go back and, and really capture this in its context from last Sunday, we complete this joy by being of the same mind. He says that here. That we are to be in full accord and of one mind. That doesn't mean we all cram into a Honda, right? That's not what that means. Think about it. You'll get it. For, it just, some of you, it's a little bit slower coming than others. I'll, I'll let you warm up to that idea, right? But to be a full accord and of one mind, that, that literally, that means of one soul, one mind, one spirit. That, that, in, in other words, that we, we share together these things, these truths, that we have the same love. In other words, we have embraced a core set of values, a core truth, a core doctrine, these core things that we embrace together. That's the, that's the teaching of the church, the teaching of the gospel. And because we have embraced these truths, there is a oneness among us. Now, unity 
does not mean uniformity. That doesn't mean we have to all look the same, dress the same, think the same, talk the same, vote the same, uh, do all this, you know, post the same posts. We're not all retweeting the same articles. That's not what that means. But unity means that we willingly put the truths of the gospel in front of our own desires, that we say that the main thing is going to stay the main thing and matters that are secondary or third or even perhaps somewhere beyond that. That we're going to let, it's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to think a certain way along those, those lines, but we're going to keep the main thing the main thing. And what is the main thing here? Jesus Christ, who emptied himself of his rights, gave his life for us and humbled himself to the point of death on a cross that he might serve our needs and that when we turn to him in faith, he is exalted. We can surrender our lives to him that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue confess on heaven and earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There it is. That's the main thing. And when we center our lives on that truth, we have joy even through the hardship, even through the difficulty. Notice some things that happen, too, that I think that are tied to this joy. When we put others first, that's what he says here, right? We complete his joy by having this mind among ourselves that we are to, we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And when we, when we count others as more significant than ourselves, when we, in, in humility, say, you are more important than me. It's not about me. None of this is about me. But when when we live that way, as Jesus lived that way on our behalf, then we find joy, we foster unity, we lift each other up, we push one another to succeed. When we live that way, when we put others first, then, then you celebrate others when good things happen for them. You push them to be their best. You want to help them succeed. You empty yourself in order to willingly serve others. When we, when we put each other first and we serve each other's needs, then, then it ought to be easy for us to recruit leaders. It ought to be easy to, to staff the nursery. It ought to be easy for us to get volunteers to go to camp. It ought to be easy for us to get people to show up and, and, and serve people in our community. It ought to be easy for us to right, find people who want to stand at the door and have a warm smile and a welcoming heart as they, as they welcome people into this place. It ought to be easy for us to say, you know what? Hey, look, we, we got all these needs. We got all these places where we need people. And, and when we're putting others first, we will willingly sacrifice. Well, I don't like that. So what? It's not about you. Well, I, I, that, doesn't really, that doesn't really do anything for me. You think dying on the cross did something for Christ? But he willingly took the pain and the punishment. That ought to be our mindset that drives us. Well, it's early. Well, then get up anyway. Go to bed early. Set an alarm. Be a grown-up, you know? It's like if there's so many things that we think of, so many excuses that we make. And, and listen, I'm picking on the low-lying fruit in some of this. I realize that it gets a lot deeper and a lot more complicated than that. I know it does. But I'm trying to step on a few of your toes and maybe even get some of you to sign up to serve. <laughs> but in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, let's understand this. Jesus is our example here. He's the one who sets the pace. You will never outpace Jesus. You will never give more than he gave. You will never somehow somehow uh, arrive at that point where you have somehow surpassed his. We're always going to be trailing after him. He's always going to be the one that we're following. And yet the point is that we ought to run hard in that direction. As we make Jesus our example and we follow after him. And when we do, this is the point. When we do that, really what we're pursuing is joy. 
You see, joy comes not through getting everything that you want. Joy comes not through having all of your needs met somehow. Uh, Joy doesn't come through, through putting yourself first. Real joy comes through embracing the way of Jesus and putting others first. Real joy comes when you learn that it's not about you. And praise God it's not about you because it's about someone who's greater than you. Real joy comes when we stop living for ourselves and we live for him. And that's how we advance the gospel. And so hear me when I say this. Pursuing joy may not always make you happy in the moment because it may take some work and some effort and some sacrifice. But I promise you it will never leave you empty and disappointed. So we have this mind by pursuing joy. Secondly, we have this mind by serving others. Again, Jesus is is the example. Mark chapter 10, Jesus says it plainly. These are his words that Mark has recorded for us. Jesus said that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark chapter 10, verse 45. You can look that up. Jesus himself said, my purpose is not to be here to, so that you might serve me. Although he knew that, didn't he know? Jesus knew that he was worthy to be served. Perhaps unlike us in every way, he truly was worthy and deserving of all the praise, all the glory, all the accolades, all the honor, all the wisdom, all the might, all the recognition, all the good things that we could, that we could truly and rightly Pour on him. He's worthy of all that and more. And yet Jesus says, yeah, but I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And he set that ultimate example for us. This is the way that Paul writes it here. In in talking about this, this way that Jesus serves others. He says that Jesus emptied himself. Look at what he says in verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And then verse 7, emptied himself. So Jesus emptied himself. He, not only that, but it says here that he humbled himself in the, in the next verse, in verse uh, 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Notice that, notice that in the previous verse, in verse 7, that emptying himself is tied to service. And then in verse 8, humbling himself is tied to obedience. That's important. We'll come back to that in a minute. But notice that, right? Service and, and, and emptying go together, that uh, humility and obedience, those things go together. He says in the following verses that because Jesus did this, because Jesus emptied himself, because he humbled himself, God exalted him. And not only did God exalt him, but God bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. And so when we, when we have this mindset about ourselves to serve others, to put others first, to exalt Jesus to empty ourselves, humble ourselves in service and obedience, then God will work through us the same that God, the, the, the way that God worked through Jesus to exalt Christ, not to exalt us because there's nothing about us that's worthy of being exalted, but God will work through us to exalt Jesus and he'll work through us to bring glory to his name. And that's what we want ultimately. I mean, that's really, if you, if you, if you drill this down and you think about it, that's the aim of our faith, isn't it? is that Jesus would be exalted and that he would be glorified. And if we will live in such a way, if we will humble ourselves, if we will follow that example, Jesus will be exalted and he will be glorified. Finally, we see this. To have this mind, you must embrace the gospel. 
To have this mind, you must embrace the gospel. So not only do we have to pursue joy, not only do we have to serve others, but we have to embrace the gospel. The gospel is clearly spelled out here, and purposefully so, right? As I mentioned, this is even the very wording that's used here. Most scholars believe was Paul intentionally borrowing the language of one of the early hymns of the faith in order to take truth that they knew, perhaps take truths that they recited to themselves every week as they gathered together corporately for worship to encourage one another. And Paul's using that very language and he's grabbing it and he's pulling it into this to say, listen, this truth that you believe, it ought to, it ought to affect some change in the way that you live. Because ultimately, this, just, this isn't just uh, an, an activity, but this is about an attitude, about a mindset that we have. And we demonstrate that by embracing the gospel. So with his work on the cross, Jesus conquered sin and death. And now he's made a way for us to surrender our lives to him, to turn to him in faith, to empty ourselves and become servants of others, to to humble ourselves through our obedience to the word of Christ, to exalt the name of Jesus as we make much of him. As John the Baptist rightly said, he must increase and I must decrease To bring glory to him as we surrender our lives to him, as we bow before him and confess him. That's what it means to surrender ourselves to him. We we bring ourselves low before a king who is highly exalted. I wonder, have have you done this? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you've embraced the gospel? If that's true, then there ought to be evidence of these things in your life. Is there evidence in your life that you've emptied yourself by confessing your sins? Is there evidence in your life that you humbled yourself by repenting, by turning away from your sins and turning to Jesus? Is there evidence in your life that you have exalted Jesus by acknowledging him as your Lord and Savior, acknowledging his authority and his power over sin? Is there evidence in your life that you have surrendered to him you have, that you have given your life to him, that you have surrendered control, that you are yielded to his authority and his lordship. That's what it means to embrace the gospel. And when we do that, then the very things that we see in the example of Jesus will begin to become true in our lives. Now, I want to make this point clearly. We don't go from... We don't go from... Uh, beginning faith to fullness of faith instantaneously, right? The, maybe a, a helpful way to think of it is to think along the lines of like, we, you, you gotta learn how to crawl before you walk, before you run, right? I mean, it, it's helpful to think of it along that lines. There's progress, it's a, it's a process. I don't mean to say that it's just like, you know, you, you say some magic Jesus words and boom, now you got it all and you got it all figured out. That's, no, 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 it's, it's a process. We work at this every day of our lives. And yet, if our faith is real and genuine, then there ought to be some evidence supporting that real genuine faith as we progress, as we grow, as we, as, as we advance the gospel, both in our own hearts and around us over time. This is what it means to embrace the gospel. We, we center our lives around that truth. We make that the core of who we are. We surrender to Jesus in obedience to his word, we humble ourselves and we make it the mission of our lives to make much of Jesus. And if you've never done that, then friend, 
I want to I want to just tell you all the things in life that you want, all the joy, all the fulfillment, all the things that we all long for, because we were created to long for those things. It will never be found in you. And so let me say that again, just so that you think on those words. You will never be enough to satisfy the longing of your soul. But here's the truth. You weren't meant to be the thing that would satisfy the longing of your soul. Jesus is. And when you turn to human faith and you surrender your life to him, now you have what it's all about. And when you empty yourself of you so that you might be full of Christ, now you begin to understand what real hope, what real joy, what real satisfaction is all about. Because it's about Jesus. And we find joy in serving others as we embrace the gospel. I hope so desperately that you have trusted in Jesus, that you have made him the Lord of your, your life and surrendered your life to him. But if you haven't, well, here's the good news. Today, right now even, can be your moment. This could be your opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. See, in a moment, we're going to move into a, a time of response, a time of invitation. And even as we sing this song and we're going to have this moment, we're going to be here at the front. Our staff are here at the front ready to receive you. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus today, you want to, as, as I, to, to, to use the wording and the language that I've been using this morning, if you want to empty yourself of you that you might be full of Christ, then today could be the moment for you. And so during this song, as we sing, you could just come to one of us, Brad or myself. You could just say, I'm ready, I'm ready to, to give my life to Jesus. Let us walk you through a prayer of faith whereby you might confess him as your Lord and Savior, where, whereby you might embrace this truth by surrendering your life to him and begin that journey of pursuing joy, serving others, embracing the gospel as you make Jesus the center of your life. Would you pray with me now? Lord, we are so grateful that you gave all for us. We recognize your work on the cross to bring salvation to us. And Jesus, this morning, as we turn from our sin and we turn to you, we pray that you would be honored and exalted in our lives. Lord, that we might make much of you. And as we do that, fill our hearts with the fullness of your joy. Fill us with the measure of the fullness of Christ that we may exalt you, Jesus, that we may make much of you, and Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's never done that, I pray that this would be the moment of their surrender. This would be the hour of their salvation as they turn away from themselves and turn to you, Jesus, trusting you as their Lord and Savior. And even as you're moving in our hearts and leading us to follow you, God, I pray that you would be honored, your name highly exalted in our midst today. Even as we sing these words, may we sing with a fullness and a passion that reflects this, this conviction that Jesus is not about us, it's all about you. And we bring honor and glory to you as we devote our lives to you. This we pray in your name, Jesus.